We, we simply need to make some self-custody solutions that people can use and that they can restore easily. And this is the first step. Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by swan.com. Today, we're talking about metal seed backups for our Bitcoin private keys. Now, for those of you who are Bitcoin hodlers, you're probably used to this idea that you need to write down your 12 or 24 words, but there are ways to back that up into metal. Now, what we're talking about today is taking that to another level of being able to back up the multi-signature related information, the descriptor. So that's what we're going to get into for this episode with Dax and E from the Seed Hammer Project. Here's my chat with Dax and E. Dax and E, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So today we're going to be talking about a range of things, mostly obviously this seed hammer concept. What are we trying to achieve here? And I think as part of this, we'll, we'll try and help explain for newer listeners a little bit about some of the ways to think about backing up our keys, especially when we're talking about the more secure setups. So I, I guess it's normally a good place to start. Why? Why are you doing this stuff? Uh, what was the driving impetus uh, for you guys? Obviously, under, I know you're under a pseudonym, but just as much as you're willing to, you're comfortable to share without doxing your personal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, if I should go first, like actually it was E who introduced me to, to the whole thing. Uh, he uh, earned me some, some money once <laughs> and, uh, and then he insisted on, on, uh, on paying them back in, in Bitcoin and I went down the rabbit hole and, you know, the, the usual way, you know, and then, you will start to dig deeper into what is money and how is money created and why is hard money good, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, and then at one point, uh, and I think this, especially now when we might enter a new bull run, it becomes obvious to many people that have been stacking sets, maybe a lot of people or plebs came on in, in 17 and so on. Now you're looking at your stash and you're thinking, okay, this is actually a significant amount now in dollar value. And if Bitcoin is going to be hopefully what we all hope for, then I think it's very important that you take your custody of these coins very seriously uh, already now, (laughs) no matter if the dollar value is life-changing or not for you. And uh, the same goes for all of us, right? And that kind of uh, moved us in this direction. Uh, I don't know if you want to to add something to that. Yeah, well, I would would say that um, once you go down the rabbit hole of, of what is money, then you end up at Bitcoin and what Bitcoin is. And I could, I think you could say the same thing about self-sovereignty. Once you realize that the only really way to, real way to store your real money is by doing it yourself, you go down this rabbit hole of how can it be done in a way, what is the most perfect, not, not necessarily perfect, but what is the, uh, what is the end goal? What is the end solution of storing Bitcoin in a way that you can where you can sleep well at night. And I think we both ended up at steel plates. And steel plates have this they are very durable and they're hard to lose and so on, but they're very difficult to inscribe on by hand. And especially if you do want if you want some kind of a, a kind of setup where you can lose some of the plates, the the usual two of three or three of five or something like that. Yeah. At this time, and at and the time when we began Seed Hammer, and I, I think still, um, there's not really that much support for Shamir, Shamir schemes. So we went for the multi-stick route. And as you know, multi-stick has the problem that you need to also um, keep, keep your descriptor very, uh, yeah, okay. almost as good, uh, well-kept and we'll, as We'll explain seeds. some of these terms, but go on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so the problem was really, um, the, the descriptor for multi-sig and also to just to have, to have, have the descriptor for having a self-contained backup. So you don't have to have a USB drive or something printed, uh, that you put on each, each share yeah. and so on. Yeah, yeah. So that led us down on how can you engrave that by hand? You really can't. <laughs> we, tried, we tried. Idea, <laughs> we tried. We tried to stamps, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So look, so, so yeah. Before we get too into the technicals, let's just—I just want to make sure we can get everyone to follow along. So let me just try to set the scene. Obviously, some listeners are advanced. You know, you don't really need this, but for the beginners and intermediates, maybe this will be helpful. So when we start with Bitcoin self custody, typically you might start with a wallet, and it tells you to write down twelve or twenty-four words. You can think of that like that's your 
master private key or it's like an encoded version of your master private key. If somebody gets that, they get all your coins. Now, people are normally taught to write down these 12 or 24 words and potentially back it up. And here I'm holding up just as an example. Here's the seed plate from CoinKite. That's an example. And people would go through and sort of hole punch uh, with a puncher. Okay, these are the words. But there are trade-offs with this also because in this example, if I didn't have a passphrase, then if somebody gets this 12, this plate, obviously this is an empty one, but I'm just showing as an example. If somebody gets this, they can steal my coins or take my coins basically. And so that's where some of the conversation goes into more advanced techniques. And so typically people are talking about things like one is using a passphrase. So they would have their single signature Bitcoin wallet with 12 or 24 words and an additional passphrase. That's one way that they might approach that. Now there's trade-offs to that because now you're creating another potential single point of failure depending on you know, your setup. And the other approach many people are doing is what's called multi-signature. So this approach for people who aren't familiar, you can imagine you can have, let's say three Bitcoin hardware devices and you need to spend out, you need to, in order to spend, you might set it up where you need any two of those three to be able to spend coins. And so this is one way that you can uh, help reduce some of that uh, single point of failure and give yourself some more security potentially, but there's a little bit of added complexity. And so that's where maybe a lot of people debate in the community, oh, what's better, passphrase or multi-sig and things like this. Um, and I guess we'll get into some of that. So maybe let's start with that question for, for you guys, Dax and E. Do you have any views on the passphrase or multi-sig question? Uh, if I should go first, I would say um, the passphrase, I, I don't use it personally um, because <laughs> there is a risk that I forget the passphrase or that I will have uh, a critical impact on my brain so I cannot simply cannot remember it. Uh, and then the coins would be gone unless I have written it down somewhere and I know you can do that in a password manager or so, but... It, the whole myth, the whole thinking, the whole way we are thinking is we want a self-contained backup. But that's also how we are personally. We want it to be self-contained with nothing that we need to remember and nothing that our heirs need to remember. That's very important because if you have a passphrase and you do you do not give it uh, away to your heirs in a way that they can remember it, the money are also lost. Uh, where in multi-seek, without passphrase, you can combine those two, but without you have a much more physical setup. You can tell or instruct your ears to where the the actual steel plates are hidden. And that's it. Especially with our system, we can get back to that later. It usually isn't. You will also need the descriptor, which I am sure you will explain about yeah, later. Of course. But, and E, do you, anything to, to add there on passphrase or multi-sig? I'm pretty much on the same page. If you have two parts of your seed, um, the, the BIP39 mnemonic seed uh, words, and you have a passphrase, that's, that's to me, that's a two of two uh, setup. And if you have a two of two setup, you might as well go to two or three or something, so you can have a little bit of redundancy. Uh, and also, um, I think it's good to treat this, this, the parts the same. A passphrase is one thing, and the BIP39 mnemonic seed phrase is another thing. And I like the symmet symmetry of, of just having seed phrases. Right. And I, I'm personally in the multi-sig camp as well, but I understand this. it's a common thing in the community where there are some people who... And maybe there's not like one size fits all you know, for everybody because it, it sort of does depend on practically how you use Bitcoin well, and what you're doing wallet, with that. Which wallet yeah, you're talking which wallet? Is it your Luke bomb? Is it your deep code storage? What is it? Correct, right. And so I think for the sake of your deep cold multi-sig so this is coins that you rarely ever access you're planning to sort of pass it on yeah yeah pass them on or even if you do spend you very rarely would use this like in terms of spending like it might be like once a year once every few years that you actually plan to spend out of this setup that's where i think multi-signature is a superior solution but you do need to be careful about how you back this up so let's get into that and explain this so as you mentioned there's this concept known as a descriptor and so just let me kind of set the background here and then you guys can elaborate a little bit. So coming back to that 12 or 24 words that you wrote down, that is like your master private key for that particular wallet. So let's say you've got, mm -hmm. you know, a cold card and you might have another one that's, you know, uh, another device. Let's say you've got a Jade or something else. Mm -hmm. You can have a master private key for each device. 
Like you can have one for the cold card, one for the jade, and one for some other devices. And then out of that, you can take what's called the master public key for each of those devices. And you can think of it like multi-sig is kind of like we're, com- we're sort of combining or we're, we're creating a script that requires, you know, two of three or three of five or some quorum that you've set up. And what we can do is we can represent sort of like a map for those, let's say you've got a two of three set up, you can have those three master public keys and they are represented in the descriptor. And there's, it's, there's a little bit more than that. It's, there's things like script type and, you know, derivation path and a few other, you know, technical details. But the short version of it is the descriptor, your output descriptor, or, or you know, some people call it like your account map. That's your way of being able to find your coins. Because this is one of the other things which is a little bit of increased complexity to do multi-sig. But I would argue that complexity is worth it, but we just need to have a, a, a way of backing up that descriptor. And so do you guys want to elaborate a little bit on that or add anything to that? I think it's a great way to explain it. Uh, if I should add anything, I would say we are trying to take out that added uh, complexity, especially for from the point of view of those who need to use the backup, if if I can show the a, a product from the seed yeah, hammer. Yeah, sure. Uh, here we have the in this example twenty four words. I don't know if it's mirrored. It's mirrored on my screen. Anyways, yeah, I can here see we it. have yeah, yeah here we have an example of twenty four words. It would be uh, it would be twelve also and a QR representation, and that could be the twelve words in one of your devices. You just showed I think a cold card or a trace or something like that. Let's imagine they came from that one. Uh, and then another plate would, would contain 24 words from one of the other devices. Um, and a third plate would do the same. But the problem is, it's correct. And we were of that misunderstanding in the beginning that two out of three is enough. And it is enough to sign a transaction, but it's not enough to recover your wallet. So if you lose your, your Sparrow or Nunchuck or whatever, got your phone stolen or something, and you haven't backed it up, uh, and many people would back it up on paper, for instance, like I have done here. Uh, if you don't do that, or if you lose that part, then your coins are gone. You cannot spend them because you cannot recover your wallet, so you can make a transaction that you can then sign with two of the, of the three. And that's where we are quite unique, because on the flip side, on the back side of these plates, we have the descriptor. Uh, split out in a clever way because there's not enough room for the full descriptor it's quite big and that makes so that just like with the private side that any two out of three is enough to sign a transaction any two out of three of the back sides it is enough to recreate the full map or the full descriptor um, technically how it's done that's kind of east table <laughs> but that that is like how we want to make something complex more simple i just need to save three metal plates and to spend i need to scan two of them and also to recover i need to scan only two of them and it works with nunchuck sparrow and many blue wallet and so on and you actually just point point on these qr codes and in less than two seconds you see your balance and that's quite unique because these will go through water fire whatsoever and you still have it and you can also actually uh, uh, bear to lose one and it also works for three out of five for instance and other setups but but that just kind of underpins what you just said. We have a technology here that is quite complex, actually. One thing is how to set it up. You can get help from Unchained, Casa, and guys like you. Uh, but then when you have the backup and you know, okay, and that was maybe also our issue, our children will be the one who's going to maybe use this backup one day. And it needs to be bulletproof. And I can instruct my daughter to where those plates are, and I can tell her, take this software or whatever will be popular at that time and scan two of the three on the back side. Then you will see the balance. And if you want to move them, scan the other side, and that's it. And that's the kind of simplicity we need as an industry to add to to these technologies in order for this to work. Back to the show in a moment. This show is brought to you by swan.com. Swan.com makes it easy for you to buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. And you can do this on the website over at swan.com or using Swan Bitcoin applications, which are available on the Apple or Android smartphone. 
Swan makes it easy to set up a recurring automatic purchase plan so you can regularly purchase Bitcoin and tune the volatility of Bitcoin to your advantage because it does go up and down a lot. But those people who've been stacking and hodling over the long term have done very well with that. Now, Swan makes it easy for you because you can automatically purchase and withdraw for free. So free withdrawals with swan.com and Swan makes a range of learning resources available for you, whether that's free books, whether that's the welcome to Bitcoin course, whether that's the range of content that's available from the Swan team, such as Swan Signal or Cafe Bitcoin or various YouTube material and videos. You can find all of that over at swan.com. Mempool.space is the leading Bitcoin and blockchain visualizer. You can use this tool to search your Bitcoin transactions. You can also use it to see the mempool state and see what the block space and fee dynamics are. You can see what kind of fee you need to attach to a transaction to get that transaction confirmed into the next block. So I use mempool.space regularly when I, whenever I'm about to send an on-chain transaction. Mempool.space is free and open source software that you can host and run for yourself. And they have a range of different views and things that you can see when you are using the visualizer. So you can view transactions, you can see things like the replace by fee history, you can view the mining dashboard as well as their lightning dashboard. You can find out more info over at mempool.space. And now back to the show. Great. So so that's yeah, a little bit of a walkthrough of the let's call it the multi-sig backup approach with steel plate. So that's really what Seed Hammer is making it easy for people to do. Though I guess in practice, I mean you don't have to use that. Like if you are just using single signature, you could theoretically just do the one thing with the seed punching um, in an automated machine. Um, but that's kind of high level for people to understand what's going on here. So we can think of this and it has multiple applications, right? So let's talk a little bit about who might use this or who might need this, right? It's not just your son or daughter or your children. It could be useful in a business context. It could be useful in the context of maybe you need to write instructions for your lawyer in relation to your will and your estate, your estate planning. It, it, there are different contexts of what you know you would use these steel plates for and they will be stored in different locations. So as an example, maybe you might have one at your home, one at a private vault, another in you know, another hidden location, maybe a family member or another private vault. So this way you are distributing uh, the location of these and, and, keys and, and of could, the backup information. Yes, and you could even, if you don't care about KYC and AML, which this can be KYC and AML free, our solution, but if you want, you can have one part stored with the on-chain or KSA or, or some other uh, custodial service. Gotcha. And so just to spell that out, could you just... Like walk us through as an example. So let me just kind of spell out how I'm seeing it and then you just elaborate a little bit on that process. So as I'm understanding, this user, let's say this person is a little more tech savvy. They know what they're doing. They want to set up, you know, two or three multi-sig and they go to Sparrow or Spectre or Nunchuck, one of these coordinating, you know, client softwares that can create a multi-signature wallet. We generate the master public keys and then they are able to use the Seedhammer uh, software and connect that with a automatic uh, metal punching yep. device. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then the that is what creates those three metal plates that you just demonstrated for us. And then that in turn is what the user is sort of, he has to write some instructions for his heirs or the lawyer, the estate planning people, whoever it is, they have to leave those instructions there, but at least it's it's sort of, going to be in a standardized format that's let's say ideally easy to recover 10 years from now 20 years from now 30 years from now yeah. whatever yeah. it is yeah that that is correct uh, assuming that the standards we are using are not deprecated which they are but we right we'll get into that, that later, later but yeah, yeah just go, go on uh, yep. so 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 anyone today that not anyone but i would argue a lot would ask persons like you and companies and bitcoin consultants i'm uncomfortable with having this much value hidden in the, those 12 or 24 words. Because what if I lose those or someone sees them? You just need to see them like in a... Or maybe they are made with a bad entropy, so someone is overlooking, uh, actually surveilling that address. And then you move to multisig. And right now, as it is today, it might be a goal in the future, but today's Seedhammer does not help people create their, uh, um, 
their, their multi-sig wallets. You can get help from companies and so on, or you can do it yourself. Uh, but you would always end up with someone telling you, or some uh, procedure telling you, you need to save your descriptor. It is so important to save this descriptor. Save it with each share, even though if you punch it on metal and you have like three different metal plates, then have a paper like this stored with each of those. Uh, what if um, the all are into a fire, then you should also have it digitally stored in the cloud and so on and so forth. Um, for us, that's just not good enough. We want to be paranoid. We want to be, let's say that we are locked out of our cloud service and all the three plates, <laughs> it would never happen probably, but if they were uh, into a fire, then the paper would be gone and so on. But it's correct. We then go in and, and we are a tool, a big, a big machine. I, ha I have it right here. It's quite heavy. <laughs> this, the seed hammer machine is like a needler that hammers into the plate and you feed it with a Raspberry Pi Zero, I get Raspberry Pi Zero, where you actually start by scanning the descriptor. So our uh, open source software knows, okay, this is the wallet. This is how it constructed, as you said. We have all the information about the three shares, script type, and so on and so forth. And then you just feed it with one of your 12 or 24 words. And then it knows, oh, that's the share that is in this multi-six setup. I will now start the checkout process, as we call it, where it guides you how to set up the machine and hammer the first plate, so on and so forth. And you talked a little bit about businesses too, and that's, we, that's, I would like to elaborate a bit about that. If you have a seed hammer physically now, I know that you and I are very much apart physically, but you could have a seed hammer at your place. I could have a seed hammer at my place and he could have a seed hammer uh, at his place somewhere uh, in the world. And we could jointly agree on that we create each of us creates with as much entropy as possible, randomness, a seed that only we know ourselves, but we could give each other or share with each other the public key from that seed. That wouldn't uh, do any harm. And then, for instance, we would agree that you would be the coordinator, so you would feed those three public keys into Sparrow, for instance, on Nunchuck. And then you would send back the descriptor to us because the descriptor doesn't know anything about the secrets, about the private keys. And now I could hammer, because I could load this with the software and load my 12 words into the software and I could hammer my plate. You could load your 12 words with the descriptor and hammer your plate and you could do the same. So now we were shared a two out of three multisig where no plates has crossed any borders. No information has crossed any borders physically because it's also, that's a, that's a downside bar, uh, with steel, it's hard to travel with. If you don't right. want the because you might be paranoid about going through an X-ray machine in the airport or this kind of thing. And actually, one other point I do want to make here for the paranoid, I guess it's also possible to use Seed Hammer only for the output descriptor backup, right? It is, but e, how is it? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We, we we have a version, so you, you you it will always start with the public part. So when it asks right. you to flip the plate and hammer the private part, you you just disregard that part of the process. Gotcha. But you would need the you would need to initiate e the hammering of each plate. You would need the twelve words for each plate. But you could just produce this, uh, the backsides. Yeah, right. That's what I'm getting at. Because I, I guess for the paranoid, they may not want to ingest the private key into the seed hammer device, and they might want to think of it like, oh, I just want to have my separate twelve or twenty-four word backup for the private key, and use the seed hammer component only for the descriptor backup only for the multi-sig component of that is that possible i don't think it's possible today is it e no no okay gotcha. because of the work because of the workflow gotcha Understand. i guess we should i guess we should add that this descriptor what's the reason we could put that descriptor at each plate what is the reason that descriptor is less dangerous that the seed is that you need the descriptor to to see your wallet balance, but crucially to sign your transactions. But if anyone gets hold of your descriptor, they can only, it's only a privacy leak. They can see how much you have. Right, but they cannot spend knowing only the descriptor. So that might be another tool that some more paranoid hodlers or security setup consultants might want to take. They may want to take that step of having, you know, distinct backup formats for each um, thing. But of course, you know, there's, there's complexity with all of this and I'm sure a lot of the user experience and things have to be sort of ironed out over time because it is very early. Um, it is very but, early. And yeah. I want to add a, just a quick note on this. We are working on, which you might saw on Twitter today or X, we are working on a version where you can fit the whole descriptor on each plate. 
So okay. you wouldn't. So any plate, any one yeah. plate would be enough to describe the wallet, and that would mitigate the issue because then you can just hammer it on one plate and disregard hammering the other side, and then right. we have the solution you're asking for. So I believe it will come in the future, but we are still so goddamn early. This is the only multisig backup on steel that exists in the world at the moment, and and we are also learning from our loft, uh, like I, I call them our um, ambassadors, those who yeah. bought the machine now, because obviously it's a $600 unit. You, It's not something you do as a pleb with the uh, 1 million sets, right? So so we know yeah. who's the target group at the moment, uh, but I'm just saying, and we can get into that yeah. later, there is something in the future very interesting coming up. Yeah, gotcha. And actually, just for listeners who are curious, what is the cost? You mentioned it, I, um, I missed that earlier. What's the cost for that broader, the bigger machine? Uh, the the one I just showed, the, the yeah, the big heavy machine. machine. Yeah, yeah six hundred dollars. In terms of the cost, one other question around the cost of the seed plate backup material. Can you give us a, a guide there? Mm-hmm. Where we also sell the controller actually for US customers, but uh, this is uh, the most used plate. It's for the for the two out of three yeah. multisig, and there we have like a, a either a nine pack or eighteen pack bundle for. 59 or 99 US gotcha. dollars. Um, and we have the bigger plates. We also have a minor uh, credit card size plate, which we are phasing out. Uh, but we also have even bigger plates. They are like almost twice this size because uh, we need more space, even though it's a, a, a partly descriptor, we need more space. Uh, that is for three out of five and other setups. Um, just to elaborate on the material, it's stainless steel 316. Um, yeah, and we are actually right now, uh, those plates are undergoing at an external uh, company uh, uh, accelerated a corrosion mm-hmm. test. We wanted to see how they behave compared to normal stainless steel and compared to uh, to regular steel. Oh, great. Yeah, that's good to see. Uh, normally, things like um, people do things like heating them up to sort of do advanced aging processes um, to sort of help mm-hmm. simulate what happens over 10, 15, yeah. 20 years, etc. Yeah. Um, exactly. And yeah, so I guess uh, these are all things that uh, have to sort of be built out. So bringing it back to the actual controller software and the controller unit. So I guess we're calling mm-hmm. that the Seed Hammer controller. Uh, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about some of the security considerations there? Like as one example, there may be users who are paranoid about that little device holding private key material and so maybe the more paranoid yep, users definitely. would want to maybe do the process and then literally light that on fire or destroy that unit as, yes. a, as an example yes. mm-hmm. uh, and maybe less paranoid people might uh, be in a might be in a position where they're using that same one for multiple people which i don't know personally i wouldn't be comfortable with that not a, but, not um, a good idea no. yeah can you explain a little bit about that every, yeah every time you work with your seat you need to treat it, even though it's a multi-seek, I would still treat the seed as the biggest secret of my life. Um, so also consider where it came from, because if it was generated online through some uh, app, like where you could buy some coins and then, oh, save those 12 words, those 12 words have already been online. You cannot be sure that they are generated with enough entropy. Right, that and it's that, always offline, uh, right? That's the important backdrop. thing. Yeah. Create it offline, and that's a whole other story with diceware or whatever you want to do. But let's wait with that. When you have your secure 12 words made with enough entropy totally offline, it can feel very odd to put them into something digital. Why we chose the Raspberry Pi Zero is because it has no Wi-Fi module, it has no Bluetooth module. And if you do not use the middle port, then actually uh, the left side is only for power and the middle is for data. Of course, we need the data part, but only connect it to the big blue machine, nothing else. When you boot it up and you actually want to do something, we ask people to remove the SD card. So you take that out. Then at least one point of storage is removed from this device. Now you can put in your uh, your 12 or 24 words and your descriptor and stuff like that, and you can hammer things out. And we can talk about what can be stored in the machine later. But let's talk about this device now. Then, if you are ultra paranoid and you haven't read through the code, because our code is not even open source, it's public domain. No one, no one can ever own it. And of course, that's what also makes it uh, trustless that 
a lot of people hopefully have reviewed the code and seen that, okay, this is not actually writing to any element. Because as E pointed out to me lately, what makes this stateless that it can't save anything is by design from the code. And maybe you could elaborate a bit about that. Yeah, continue your presentation. Now. Okay, we can but it's, it's some, something about that. If you really want to and you were evil, you could actually try to store the seed words on some kind of chip on the board of the Raspberry Pi Zero. Uh, nothing prevents you from doing that. I was of this stupid uh, uh, idea that, oh, it's the stateless unit, just like, the, let's say, when you have a, a Blockstream Jade in stateless mode, then it can't save anything. When you take the power, it's totally empty of data. Only if the software is designed so, uh, evil-made attack could maybe make a malicious part of your software or a version of your software, which is why you should check our signature and stuff when you download it. But anyways, when you're done with it and you're really paranoid, and I know that, and I think I did myself actually when I made my plates, I ran it over with the car, burned it and threw it out. And I made each plate with three different Raspberry Pis. And it sounds stupid to go to this extent, but if you are storing what you want to pass on to your kids, wouldn't you regret if that little risk of something revealing your seed, um, you would regret it so much if that was enough to that you looked at a balance of 0 0.0. So, so you are right, uh, Stefan, destroying it afterwards is the super paranoid way to go. But in general, uh, we are of the, of the idea that never share your, your neither seed signer or seed hammer controller. Uh, don't share it with anyone unless like you're doing it for family. I don't know what, but you know, it is super, super important that, that you almost uh, look at this device when it has known your 12 or 24 hours, look at it as a dirty object that you need to destroy. <laughs> Even though it's stateless, has no Wi-Fi capabilities and the code is honest and stuff like that, just to be on the safe side, sleep well at night. Got it. Uh, e, anything to elaborate on that there? Yeah, it's, it's just uh, the question of hardware, what's in the hardware. It's very difficult. I think I would say possible to say what is in hardware um, and what can be stored and what cannot be stored. And I think the only reasonable, the only realistic thing you can, re can audit is the source code. Um, and the second, uh, some a kind of de defense in depth with respect to hardware is what SeedSigner did, and we are also doing is to buy, to to allow your Bitcoin software to run on common common hardware, because it's much much dif more difficult to make a backdoor specific for Bitcoin software in hardware that is sold in the hundreds of thousands or millions. Um, so with respect, there's a misunderstanding with respect to the seed sign that you can't store anything. I, I believe, I certainly believe you can store it on the device itself. You don't even need the SD card. The security from a device such as the seed signer or our controller is that you can buy it from off the shelf parts. That's the added layer of security. Yeah, I see. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the other security vulnerabilities of using seed hammer now there is a blog post so listeners i'll put that in the show notes also the um, attack vectors so let's talk through a little bit at a you know just at a high level can you explain some of the vulnerabilities of seed hammer or the potential vulnerabilities that a user would have to think about uh yeah we know our shortcomings uh there was the sound at the beginning the very first iteration you could actually listen to the words you know how they were hammered because when you deformate metal you make a lot of energy, or you release a lot of energy, which just comes out as sound here and deformation in the metal. That one we mitigated. Uh, e figured out a way to both produce QR codes and words and letters that no matter the length of whatever you are uh, hammering, sounds exactly the same. And we analyzed the sound profiles and they are on the, on the millisecond the same. So in that way, for now, we have mitigated that part, but still, uh, even though it's an old industrial tech machine off the shelf and you can buy it yourself, you don't have to buy it from us. And it only has a USB uh, connector be, uh, in the back. How do you know? How do you as an ordinary pleb or even <laughs> more than a pleb, how do you know, even though you can take off the top plate and look down, how do you know that nothing is stored in it? Because it has to hammer your words. So it will at some point in some stupid way has, have the instructions, even though it's just instructions how to move X, Y on a plate, 
things are sent to the machine and there's no really good answer at the moment other than destroying it. Um, I, th I think that's the best. Uh, we are trying to mitigate it. We are trying to find a solution where you can totally trustlessly uh, have a, a seed hammer uh, solution where you where we mitigate this, but it's still work in progress. And we know that's one of the shortcomings. Where I know now we are in the very, very, very paranoid part of the scale. A lot of people make their seats on hardware specific or Bitcoin specific hardware that I would argue is even more dangerous, maybe. Uh, for uh, that would be uh, an attack point where an old industrial machine made for making nameplates uh, for cars and forklifts uh, and a very non-Bitcoin specific product is not the biggest threat, but it's still, if you are super paranoid and to the extent that we want to go, we know that is a risk. And we right now are annoyed with the fact that when people ask us, how do I know, how do I audit the inside of the machine? We are like, it's pretty damn hard. What I can say is you can find the manufacturer online. You can try, try to write them and say you want the version with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi and you want the version with memory. And you would say we cannot deliver that because it doesn't exist. But that's kind of the best answer right now. I see. Uh, any other vulnerabilities to discuss? I, I see from the blog post you've got a few others here. Radio waves, electromagnetic noise and data exfiltration. So do you want to just elaborate on any, any of those? Yeah, so so the, e do that. Electric, uh, the electromagnetic noise is the same thing uh, that with the noise of the machine itself. It's it's pretty noisy when it's an engraving. And as Dex said, we had to, or I, I created, well, we engraved the private part, the, the words and the QR code in a way that it engraves for exactly the same amount of time in exactly the same pattern for any seed. So you can't just from the sound extract what's being written on the plate. You can do that for the descriptor side, but that's less of a problem because it's it's public. It's a... Uh, uh, well, it's not public, but it's it, it, you can't really run away with your with someone who's listening to your device. Then you can only see what the the balance is, which is uh, less of a risk. But what, with respect to electronic magnetic uh, electromagnetic um, radiation, there is a possibility. We haven't tried it, but there's a possibility that the motors, the stepper motors that control the the position of the of the of the engraving needle head, and of course the needle itself. Um, they're, they're pretty noisy, but they also emit electromagnetic uh, um, radiation that, at least in theory, if you were able to capture that nearby, then you, you could, in theory, deduce what the movements of the, um, of the stepper motors were. I see, yeah. Back to the show in a moment. When it comes to securing our Bitcoin, we need hardware that can help us hold our private keys. And CoinKite.com make a range of hardware that we can use. They make the devices like the cold card, the tab signer, and various other devices and accessories such as metal seed backup plates, which we're talking about in this episode. So you can get a hole punch and you can punch in to that metal seed plate, which is your 12 or 24 word backup. Over at CoinKite, they take a real focus on security and they are often feature leading. They were the first to implement PSBT, partially signed Bitcoin transactions. They have a range of features and support on their devices. So with the cold card, you have a range of security features. You have things like a Jures pin. You have a BrickMe pin, a pin that bricks the device. You can have a standard single signature setup. You can use it with passphrases. You can use it as part of multi-sig. It's just a very versatile device that you can use in a range of configurations. So if you want to get your cold card, go to coinkite.com. Use code Levera for a discount on your cold cards. And now back to the show. Yeah, so certainly there are some trade-offs here. Um, there are some aspects to be considered about, you know, how much extra risk is that person taking on by using a seed hammer as opposed to just keeping it all paper but in a harder to manipulate or use format, let's say. And yeah, maybe for some users, it's, it's just beyond the pale or it's too far for them. Or, um, or maybe, it's, maybe it's more like they would be interested in Seedhammer for the output descriptor part only and not for the private key mm -hmm. backup part. And maybe it would mm -hmm. be sort of like using mm -hmm. it only for the public key parts. So I guess that's how I'm seeing it. Um, that, uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, I would like to point out one sure. thing though. Uh, no matter if you are a hardware wallet uh, like advocate or not, if you produce, no matter if it's with the seed hammer or it's the steel QR, that's another product we are not affiliated with it. 
But when you have your QR uh, on steel, it, it gives this added benefit of having stateless signers. So you do actually not need, uh, at least for your lukewarm and cold storage, you don't really need a hardware wallet. You can just produce your seats, produce your plates directly, everything offline, and then fund them. And every time you want to spend, you load via the QR, because that's very easy, you load via the QR into a stateless signer. In that way, uh, and me personally also, I can manage my coins uh, totally without a hardware wallet. I could just use a Raspberry Pi Zero running the seed signer software, for instance. Again, no uh, one solution fits all, but that's an important point to make. Uh, and it especially became clear to us, and we also got it from our ambassadors, customers, and, and partners, that when we had this, was it, a, was it Ledger who came out with some kind of backup of your private key? So there was right, Ledger, Ledger Recovery, uh, which is, there was a lot of discussion in the industry about that particular thing. Um, there was a lot of, let's say, backlash amongst more hardcore uh, users. I think Ledger's response is more like, oh, this isn't for the hardcore people. But then there was still a, a question about, is that the right thing to push people into that pathway, etc. Yeah, but yeah. It, may, it, it makes you question, oh my God, my Tresor, whatever, something, something, I won't mention a lot of names here because they are probably doing their best or they are doing their best. But just know that when you have those 12 words inside some electronic device, it might be able to exfiltrate it somehow. And by making a product as Ledger did, that is a recovery product, the, the, the public will say that we can take this. And of course, they can take it. It is, even though it's in a secure chip, of course, they can take it. And they can promise as much as they want. And even though any company wallet producer is honest if they have a backup service like that and you have a single seek and it's stored somewhere in the cloud and you feel happy now it's not my own responsibility anymore what if a government wants to access those data and put pressure on that particular company so the company doesn't even have to be evil external sources can be evil to the company that forces them to leak your data to them so I think it's a very important point. And that's why I'm a big proponent of stateless signers. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I think uh, that's a, that's an area where people have to think about exactly what are they comfortable with. And again, for the different setups, right? Like maybe for your ultra cold, you know, ultra paranoid setup, there are just certain things that you just, there's certain lines you just never, ever cross. And maybe for some lukewarm setups or maybe for like a business sort of day-to-day -day use multi-sig, maybe for that setup, you're comfortable with, other risks. So I think that's really where listeners have to sort of think about their own trade-offs, what's what's appropriate for them. And even, you know, many listeners are builders, developers, educators themselves. So they have to sort of think for their own users or for their own uh, customers or students who they're teaching, what's the appropriate appro uh, response or approach for them. Um, one other question people will probably have is around different standards and changing standards, right? And I know you did a you did a thread about this. So let's just talk a little bit about that. So I guess I'll set some of the context and then you can give your answer. So one of the, I guess, responses that was seen online was this idea that, well, hang on, what about changing standards? So the underlying QR standard, blockchain UR, as an example, what if that updates or changes? Or what if the industry shifts to a new standard that in 10 or 20 years, you know, people using that standard instead of the one that we've used to engrave. Do you have any thoughts or response on that? Yeah, so the, 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 the calming response to that is that there will be, a, even with a very sudden shift, let's say every wallet software suddenly doesn't support the standard that we are engraving with today, you will always be able to, not always, but for quite some time, years, be able to download an, an older version that can restore your descriptor or read your seed. So, um, so that's the calming, calming re uh, response. That, but there is a risk that, well, not risk, but there is an annoyance or a inconvenience in the sense that you the plates may last for many, many years, but the standards, because the Bitcoin the software community is still very young, the standards that we use to engrave the descriptors to all the data with um, go out of fashion or uh, at some point becomes unsupported. So that's that's that's. I would say it's an inconvenience because there's. I don't see any point unless you're cryogenically frozen for a hundred years and wake up and you have to restore your plates or something. So um, so that's that's the 
that's the first response to that. And the second is that from threat, threat we're trying to avoid these, we're trying to mitigate these problems by moving, moving away from some of them less supported standards. Um, and we're even trying to squeeze the whole descriptor in several ways, to hold the descriptor down on uh, the backside of one plate or each of, of the plates, even for the multi-six setup, which makes us less reliant on particular standards for encoding or engraving or representing the, the, the descriptor. Gotcha, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's also, uh, I would say that in summary, there's always a risk for changing standards, but we are tr- we're moving towards more widespread standards. Yeah. And and yeah, to be honest, I think that's a that's a fair answer. One other area is just to talk about Seed Hammer as a project. I guess let's talk a little bit about that aspect. Is this a for-profit company or is it more like an open source project, n- not trying to be like a not-for-profit thing? Can you tell us a little bit about the structure here and what you're aiming to do just more broadly with Seed Hammer? Yeah. First of all, the idea came out of 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 yeah, as I said in the beginning, necessity to, to do these things and help people when you look at the USD balance being like, well, bigger than I expected. Um, and, and, and we believe that we need everyone who has the capability uh, need to help the industry uh, by making the advanced stuff under the hood accessible for everyone. Also multi-sig, if we end up having multi-sig as the predominant non single point of failure technology in the future, we, we simply need to make some self-custody solutions that people can use and that the heirs can restore easily. And this is the first step. Uh, seen from a business perspective, we are working full-time on it, both of us, uh, and we even have uh, more partners than you see here in the show, uh, helping a great lot, of, uh, helping a lot. Um, and of course, we would like to be funded uh, and not from external funding. We would like to be funded by bringing value in a trustless way so that people want to pay for this. Uh, and as you know, everything can be done. Do it yourself. There's even a do-it-yourself guide online made by one of our, yeah, he's not a customer, but he's an ambassador. Uh, and we really uh, just support that. Uh, but we see that we, are, from a business perspective, we reach the goal when we have a solution, when we can provide a solution where uh, the only thing you pay for in our pocket is to sust- that we can sustain the software, of course, but also that we provide uh, an easier way to get started. So instead of having to buy everything on five different stores online and waiting for two months for things to be delivered from I don't know where, that you have one single shop where you can buy or choose to buy the parts you want to buy from us Um, and you can maybe assemble some of the electronics yourself and stuff like that you just want the casing from us or whatsoever like that's the end goal to be able to make a trustless uh, experience and every time we put something in a cardboard box and ships it to someone then we must have added value and we would like to take a little profit for that not that there's anything wrong with profit Uh, of course yeah (laughs) <laughs> no no there's not but we but so we don't know where this will go uh, eventually uh, of course we hope that uh, that people uh, will uh, will buy seed hammers seed hammers in the thousands but we also know besides the the security issues that we are trying to mitigate at the moment a price is also a very big uh, player in this game and if we want to onboard every pleb out there we need to get the price point significantly down and we are also working to mitigate that. But again, it's all work in process. Uh, and yeah, I think there will be a ground for yet another uh, talk in the future. But when and how, we don't know yet. But um, definitely, we know that there are some things that will make this product even more accessible from a price point of view. And also from uh, because we do get pushbacks from some of the ultra-paranoid uh, not only ourselves, but some of the ultra-paranoid Twitter users. Uh, and we take it very seriously. And as we just talked about, we are well aware of these uh, shortcomings. And we, we, I think we feel, as not even as a company, but as persons, that we have fulfilled our duty to the Bitcoin community when we reach that end goal of full trustlessness. Verifiable and trustless. Mm-hmm. But your question was, was it for profit or is it just open source? And to that, it's... A for-profit company. Great, yeah, and that's that's fine. As I said, uh, nothing wrong with uh, setting up as a for-profit company. And 
I think the other aspect, of course, we've we've spoken today about a lot about some of the more paranoid questions, but let's remember where a lot of people are today. They are custodial on exchanges or brokers or services out there. You know, so I'd be very happy mm-hmm. for them to even just start the process on single signature. And then, you know, of course, yeah, yeah. I would like to see more people become confident, comfortable enough with advanced security techniques. And of course, using things like multi-signature once they're ready for that. And so potentially, if this helps more people go to using multi-sig instead of leaving things with a custodian somewhere, then I think that's that's a, that's a good step for people. Um, so, you know, there, there's the you have to sort of balance the paranoia aspect of it with also having something that is usable and practical for a decent percent of the population beyond just that sort of 0.01% um, true ultra paranoid types. Um, so I think yeah, you sort of have to find um, the balance there. Um, so yeah, I guess any closing thoughts about where things are going uh, in terms of Bitcoin and Bitcoin uh, self custody? Uh, yeah, the price is going up forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but for the self custody part, I do believe that uh, honestly, for just if you if you have a single seek, then we need to to teach people something about entropy, how to make a secure twelve words or twenty four words. That's very important. We just saw recently a guy losing hundred forty coins. Uh, even though he was a Bitcoin uh, teacher almost or something like that. A good guy, by the way. But having those stamps and a hammer, there are many, many great solutions out there. Uh, That is a very good beginning to get those uh, seeds created safely with a lot of randomness and put down on steel and never let these seeds touch the internet anyhow. But I also see solutions like ours, uh, maybe not in one or two years, but maybe in the five or ten years range, become more uh, both accessible price-wise, but also more normal that you have some kind of equipment that is because the industry will develop and evolve, will be more than secure enough for people to uh, to back up their their like it's, it, because you can you can look at this as a gold bar basically. It's just a gold bar made of steel, right? And I think there will always be two camps, those who want not to have the responsibility for their own stash and they will use services, those who want a middle part where they hold something and a service hold one part, uh, and then those who want to be totally AML, KYC free and be totally self-sovereign. Yeah, so those two, three aspects I think will always be there, but I think it will evolve a lot. Great. Well, I think that's a great spot to leave it there. So, uh, listeners, I'll put the show notes uh, links, but uh, seedhammer.com is the main one. Uh, Dax and E, thank you for joining me today. And uh, yeah, let's let's see what happens with this project. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. So if you enjoyed the show and you learned something, make sure give us a thumbs up. Make sure you share the show with your family and friends. And I'll see you in the Citadels. <laughs>